Well, good morning, Fairhill Church. So kids ages four through six can head out if they'd like to now for the children's lesson. Uh, otherwise, we will be in Ephesians 1 this morning, and so we can go ahead and uh, get there. Now, I feel like I've been well set up for, uh, for what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is good. All right, so we are uh, continuing in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and we've just finished this section in Paul's letter called the Doxology. So the whole point of that first section was to praise. It was laying out the reasons why we should praise God in all the things that he has done for us in salvation, his electing, his redeeming, his sealing, the Trinitarian God that he is working this for us, and the intention was just to, just to make us praise and worship. Now today we're moving from doxology to Paul's prayer. He's not so much praising anymore, he is praying for a very specific purpose. He is praying for the church, and as we think about and look at this prayer, I want us to, to consider, okay, is this, is this also my heart? Do I share Paul's heart in this prayer? Do I, do I share his desire? Am I seeking this thing that he is praying for the people of Ephesus, for the church as a whole? Is this my desire for, for other believers too? Is this a prayer that I, I actually actively participate in and, and pray and desire for other people who are believers in Christ? And my hope would be that, uh, that this prayer would be kind of prayed among us, but also it would be fulfilled among us, that it would be answered, that we may have uh, what Paul prays for in this section. And so we're going to talk about the prayer. Uh, we're going to see Paul, he's going he's to plead for the Holy Spirit's enlightenment, that we might know the hope of God's calling, which is namely the riches of the glorious inheritance that is God's in the saints. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. All right. This is a very rich prayer. This is not a prayer that, that you probably pray ever, or oftentimes that I ever even think about, is considering that the depth of these things that we would know the hope of being God's treasured possession, that we would have hope in being God's inheritance. That's what we're talking about this morning. And so, let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this rich and amazing prayer of Paul for the churches. And Lord, we ask that it might be answered among us. Holy Spirit, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts 
Would you help us to know and to love the things that you have done for us in Christ? Would you give us an abundance of hope? Not in ourselves, not in the things that we can we'll do, even in the things that are far in the future, but in just our being, your great inheritance. Would you give us focus? Would you give us heart change this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, Paul, he learns about these believers. They have, had, they have their faith in Christ. They have love for one another. And what is he compelled to do? He is compelled to pray. He must, he must pray for them. Because, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering, me in my, remembering you in my prayers, that, that the Lord of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul, Paul he, he cannot help himself. He must pray this prayer. And to help you understand what he's actually praying for, we are going to go back to Peter's middle school days. All right. We are going back to middle school, the middle school band fundraiser of seventh grade. All right, all right. So we're, we're shooting back in time there. And it was the middle school band uh, auction. Okay, so there are lots of things that were going off for auction. And uh, my mother, my mother holds up her, her ticket and says, that's, that's my number. And she walks up, and she gets a complete set of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. All right. If that means nothing to you, that made any, any less than anything to my mother. Uh, all right. A, a Yu-Gi-Oh gift card set. Uh, all right. What does that mean? All right. This is like an anime card game during the anime card game uh, extravaganza, which was my childhood. And uh, all right. She won the anime gift set. Uh, now, I liked Pokemon cards. I couldn't care less about Yu-Gi-Oh cards. All right? Sorry. So I felt the same way you do. All right? Like, I don't care. Uh, all right. I didn't watch the show. I did not collect them. I didn't think they were cool. I wanted nothing to do with them. And so, my mother, who also did not want them, she gave them to me. And I threw them in a box, and there they sat for 20 years. All right. They were not valuable. They were not worth anything to me. And so, 20 years later, I go back, and I'm rummaging through all of my old childhood things. All right. My family's in California, and so that, like, I have to look through my stuff and, like, do I want any of this? And what do I come across but uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Now... I look up, all right, what, what are these things? And these were first edition, mint condition, unopened, original, like the very first Yu-Gi-Oh cards in full decks and unopened expansion packs. All right, some eBay searches later. All right, this is thousands of dollars of mint Yu-Gi-Oh cards. <laughs> all right. Now, there were lots of things that I valued from my childhood. And I had the choice, all right, what do I want to bring back with me in my carry-on? 
I brought back Yu-Gi-Oh cards. All right. <laughs> Oddly enough, that's what I thought. Well, my value system has changed, <laughs> and now they are precious. All right. All right. So, uh, all right. Did I newly acquire the Yu-Gi-Oh cards? No, they were always mine. All right. Did they? Uh, why 20 years later? Because suddenly I realized they were a lot more valuable than I thought when I was in middle school. All right. This is, this is what we're talking about in this passage. This is the Christian life and how most of us live it. All right, we have something of great value. This beautiful, amazing thing. And the, all of Ephesians 1 is about this. It's that, that you have been chosen by God, elected, you've been redeemed, you have been sealed with a guarantee that you will be God's possession. And it's this amazing gift. And yet, what do we do? We couldn't care less and we throw it in the closet. And, and most of the time, in our day-to-day, -day, it's just gathering dust back there. It's not filling us with great joy. We don't, we don't think about the value of it. And that is... That is the perennial problem that Paul knows of in the hearts of these believers that he's praying for. And he knows that they have this great thing and yet they do not value it. Now notice, notice the prayer here. Notice the prayer. It is not a prayer that they might have faith in Christ. No, he said, I'm praying because I've heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. They already have it. What's the problem? The problem is they don't value it as they should. They don't care. They already possess everything by faith in Christ. They have been already been bought. They have already been sealed. They have already been chosen. And yet they, they need more. They need to have this thing revealed in all of its glory to them. And so he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, I, I love Stan's prayer because it focused first on the Holy Spirit who often is neglected. We saw, we talked about him last week, that he, he guarantees that everything that God has promised is going to be done. And this same Holy Spirit is, is the one that Paul prays will fill them now. Now they have the Holy Spirit, but they need the Holy Spirit in a very specific capacity. That he would come upon them as the spirit of what? Of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. That he would come and he would make them know this reality, to know the value of what they have found in Christ. What they have found in this new relationship with the triune God. And what, what must he do? There's this strange language here. He needs to open, he needs to enlighten, sorry, enlighten the eyes of their hearts. That the Holy Spirit might enlighten the eyes of their hearts. All right, this is weird language, weird metaphorical language. All right, so we're taking our hearts and we're putting googly eyes on them and we are asking that they might see. All right, 
your heart. Your heart has spiritual eyes. And your heart loves and values and worships and delights in things. But the problem is that 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 heart is an idiot and is foolish and blind. And so our hearts, they go running after and, and gazing longingly at things that are utterly worthless. All right, think about this last week. What are some things that your heart was just like gazing at in, in longing? And what was the real value of those things? Things like, like comfort or wealth or sin, food, sloth, pride, self righteousness All these things that are like, whoa, it's so amazing. I should give my life to this. It's valuable. And it just isn't. And then there are things that are actually infinitely valuable and our heart doesn't even see them, doesn't even notice, doesn't care. And so what Paul's saying is he says, I, I know you, church. I know that though you have faith in Christ, I know your hearts still have terrible taste. And they love things that are ugly and worthless and they don't see the real value in the things that matter. And so what is he saying? He's saying, Holy Spirit, come upon them and reveal to them the real value of where they stand in Christ and who they are in Christ. Now, what does that mean for you? That means that there's more work to be done, there's more growth to be had than simply to put your faith in Christ. Yes, yes, put your faith in Christ, but then you don't need anything new, right? There's not more steps you need to put your faith in other things. No, you need to recognize this, this thing that some of you have had for years and years and years, that that is the most valuable thing in the whole world. And you might rejoice in it and love it and see it for all of its infinite beauty. And that you should long for your own heart to be changed that you may love this thing. And that as you see other believers, you're hoping that they would value their standing in Christ. They would value this position that they have, this reality of who they are by faith. And we fight for that and we pray for that. And we are not content to merely say, yeah, yeah, I got it, but it's way back there and I haven't looked at it in a long time. No, we want our lives to be shaped around this reality that the Holy Spirit would help us to do that. All right, so what is this great thing? The main thing, all right, it has, uh, there's a couple parts. We'll talk about one part this week, another part the next week. But he starts with this. Paul prays that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. All right, what does that mean? Hope is, hope is, let's talk about hope first. Hope. All right. So hope is, on the one hand, it's, it's this ability to look into the future and see goodness. And to believe that there are good things standing in the future for you. There's another sense of hope, that hope is the, the grounds by which you actually believe that. They're like, I think there is good in the future because 
That is your hope. That thing that, that says that's the because, that is your hope. Now, some of you, I don't know, all of us, what is your hope? What, what, what in the future are you looking to? What good are you looking forward to in the future? And what's the grounds for it? All right, for most of us, we can't look very far. And our hope is actually really superficial. Our hope is like for the next meal to be decent. Or like my hope is for my children to fall asleep. So, and like we are waiting for the future of the goodness that will come there. All right, some of you are a little further, and your hope is in the coming vacation. Like, finally, I'll get some rest. Or maybe your hope is in things that are maybe a little bit vain. Not vain as in beautiful, but vain as in they're, they're always kind of running from you. All right, that like the thing in that next Amazon box is going to make your life a little happier. And then you open it, and it's like, uh, uh, next one. Uh, or like, or that, like that, that home improvement thing will just make your life that much better. That this, this change in life will make your life that much better. If this relationship that you're struggling with, if that gets better, then yes, there, there might be goodness in my future. And so the grounds for all of that is that like, you might pick the right thing, you might do the right stuff, and it's this very shallow hope. And it becomes this dangling carrot that you're kind of always running after. Right. Or for some of you, there, there's, there is no hope. That honestly, when you look into the future, what do you see? You see political unrest, social collapse, financial crisis. Or maybe you just see death and misery and suffering and loss. That there is no hope when you look. And so, what does, what does Paul say? He says, I want you, believers, to know the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Now, some of your translations, they don't say that exactly. They say that the fact that he calls you to hope, the hope that he calls you to, that's, that's not a good translation. I don't usually say that, but it's not great. He's not calling you to hope. It's that our hope is the fact that he called us to something great. And that he is working in us something great. And that he is calling us to be people who are this special people. And that is our hope. Now, why is that different? First of all, it's his calling. It's not your calling. It's not your work. It doesn't come because you voted for the right person or because you invested the right way or because you finally got your act together so that's why your future might be bright. No, it's his. He has called you to it. It originates in him and it is already yours. It is already yours. It was yours the second you put your faith in Christ. He gave that call to you. He said, you are going to be something. And just a reminder, who is this guy? When he makes a calling, he, he's able to do it. This is the one who, a few weeks ago, we said he's the one who has a purpose and he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Every single thing that he wants to accomplish, he accomplishes. Nothing happens that he didn't explicitly decide should happen according to his sovereign will. 
If he says there's going to be something in the future, it is going to happen. You don't get input in that. But even more, he says that he has this plan and everything is working towards the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28 And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right? He has called believers, those who put their faith in Christ, if you have your faith in Christ, he has called you and he has called you and in all of his sovereign working according to his will, he says everything is going to work for your good. Everything. And so, when we look into the future, do we see good? We ought to. Because we have this great promise that everything works towards good. And that we have this great God who is calling us to be this thing and he will surely do it. And he'll work all things for the goodness of his people. Now there's this, there's this thing, and I, I hate when this happens. Uh, look, yeah, it's very, yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's, uh, is it still there? I can't read it. All right. What it doesn't say, it doesn't say that, say that God will work all things for his good. People often try to change it, like, oh, that feels better. No, that's not what it says. It says he works all things for, for our good. It really says that. Not that those two things are in competition, but like that just literally isn't what it says. Don't change it. Now, that is a gift. That is a gift you already have. That is a promise from a God who is sovereign. Your end and your future is not chaos and destruction and demise. It is not pointless. It is not purposeless. It is not just filled with awfulness. That really, because God has called us, and it is his calling and his working, there is goodness in your future. And is already secure in Christ by faith. Do you believe that? We need the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and say that that is true. That is what Paul is saying. All right. Now, what is the hope? I, I was kind of, I've been, I haven't been, I've been avoiding it because otherwise we wouldn't have another rest of the sermon. So, uh, all right. I'm only talking about half of it this morning. There's the content of that hope and then there's a certainty of it. Next week, We'll talk about the certainty of it, but now we're talking about the content of it. Right? What is the content of our hope in his calling? It is not heaven. It is not heaven. And that's where many of you are like, okay, yes. There's this great thing in my future, and it's heaven, but I have to keep that in the closet for 20 years, because until I die, and then I'll get it, but it's useless to me now. All right, and that's where the, the analogy about the Yu-Gi-Oh cards kind of breaks down, because 20 years ago, it wasn't valuable. <laughs> they were just these dumb cards, and they were worthless. And it's only after 20 years that they became valuable, and now, now I like them. But... Uh, 
That didn't help me for the 20 years of my life before that. And that's where if, if your only hope of his calling is heaven, then you're going to say, yeah, okay, I'll keep that as a backup in 20 years uh, once they've gained some value. But in my day-to-day, that doesn't help me at all, and I, so I'm going to go on without it. All right. Our hope is not heaven. That is not the hope that he prays for us here. Because honestly, it's easy to have hope in heaven. You don't need the Holy Spirit's a lot of help in that. The fact, you, you will enjoy heaven when you get there. You will enjoy the, the golden streets and the, the no more suffering, no more sin. I guarantee that, all right? I don't think that's what we need right now. And that's what, and Paul says, no, what is it? It's this really strange hope. It is that we might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now we change this. And I changed this this week in my head and I said, oh, uh, the riches of our glorious inheritance to the saints. (laughs) Or the glorious inheritance that we get as the saints. All right, it doesn't say that. This is his inheritance. This is his inheritance. We put our hope in his inheritance, God's inheritance. And God's inheritance is in the saints. It is the saints. That God's inheritance is the saints. This is throughout the Old Testament. He calls his people his inheritance. I I picked one verse. It's not because there's only one verse. It's because there's lots of verses, but I picked one. All right. Deuteronomy 9.29. But they are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. He's talking about the people of Israel and he's saying, like, you will use them and you chose them so that they might be uh, this thing of great value to you. That you might receive it and that you might get great glory in it. And so God chooses, he chooses a certain people for himself as an inheritance. What does that mean? All right, think of it like a trophy. Think of it like a trophy. All right, God is the greatest. He's number one God, all right? And to show that, he's creating for himself this great trophy that will sit on the mantle place of heaven And it'll say, God is the best. And it'll say, God is the most glorious. God is the most beautiful. God is the most faithful. God is the most precious. He's the most valuable. God is the best. And it'll shine out and shine forth. And it will proclaim his goodness. It'll represent to all other powers that he is the greatest and most ultimate God. That he won. Now, this is why we need the Holy Spirit's help. Because you and I inherently don't care about God being proclaimed as glorious. We don't care about him being the greatest God. We want to be great and we want to be happy and we want to, we want, we want, we want. And that's so the problem is like, no, he, he's committed to that 
to showing himself forth as glorious and amazing and precious and beautiful. And if our delight is in that, then we will have great hope because we know that God is invested in that. We know that God is about his glory. Um, all right, and let's, let's think about the trophy. No, yes, yes, we will. Think about the trophy. All right, when I went home, there were lots of trophies. And they were this big. And most of them were participation trophies. All right, yeah, you, you made me that generation. That's not my fault. It's your guys' fault. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't cry for one. You just gave me one. Um, and what are they? They're like little participation trophies of like, you showed up. Yay. <laughs> All right. Did I keep any of those trophies? Did those come back with me on the flight? No, those went to the trash. Because <laughs> they were worthless. There was no achievement in them. They didn't represent anything. They were cheap plastic with like the arms broken off the little soccer player. And all right. God does not want that kind of trophy. No, what is God? God wants a big trophy. He wants the big, shiny, real gold trophy that is valuable and that is amazing. And when people see it, they say, wow, like, look what you did. And that's where this is saying we put hope in God's inheritance because his inheritance is us. We are his trophy. And as the trophy gets bigger and more brilliant and more perfect and more and more refined and, and spectacular, he gets more glory. Are you, seeing, are you seeing what we're trying to build here? You are the people that he has chosen to be the trophy. We are the trophy of God. And we will stand for all eternity proclaiming that he is the best God. And that he is the most beautiful God. He is the most gracious God. He is the most faithful God. He is the most perfect God. And he is working in us that reality. And so, when, when God interacts with you, he thinks, okay, if you're a believer in Christ, I want you to know and to believe that I am the most gracious, amazing, faithful God. And I'm, I'm going to help you to know that. And I'm going I'm to pour that into you. I'm going to make you more and more glorious that I might be shown to be more and more glorious. That is a crazy relationship that we have to God. That he's pouring like all of this value into us. That he is lifting us up and in the process we are getting lifted up and he is getting lifted up. What is our, heart, our hope? Our hope is the glory of God. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also attained access by faith into the grace, this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that's where, like, our hope, our hope isn't heaven. Heaven is a place where the glory of God is central, but no, the, the glory itself is our great hope. 
that God might glorify himself and that we might share in his glory. And that starts right now. That starts, that's the day you put your faith in Christ. He says, I will transform you. I will make you into that trophy. And he begins that process of transforming us and glorifying us and making us into his image and taking off all of the little spots and sins and things that that corrode the trophy and make the trophy ugly or less beautiful. He builds them up and turns his people into these great and glorious reflections of himself. That when people see us, they might see the glory of God. And so, all things are working together for that. And so all suffering, all hardship, all the things that you think are just ruining your life, all the things that just seem terrible, if you are in Christ, they are being used to transform you into that trophy. And are are changing you that you might reflect this glorious beauty of God. And he doesn't hate you. No, he loves you. He's like crazy invested in us. And he's pouring all of his, his, his goodness and grace and faithfulness into us so that we might proclaim it and show it. It is painful to be this trophy sometimes. Right, this, is, this is not just all feel good. That to have sin ripped off of us and taken out of us and unbelief drawn out of us and revealed. and It's a painful process. But what more beautiful position could we have before God than to be these ones who are recipients of all of this glorious love that we might be these glorious trophies unto God? Do we believe that? Maybe you believe it's true, but do you care? That's what this is about. That you would care that you would know, that you would experience everything and say, no, I know I am the trophy. I know that I am being transformed to reflect the glory of God. I know that he has invested in me. He is never going to abandon me. I know that all of these things are true of me in Christ and I'm going to have great hope. Great hope in everything. May the Holy Spirit help us. May he fill us. May he enlighten us the eyes of our hearts that we may see this great hope and believe it and love it and rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the work that you've already done. We thank you that you have chosen, elected us, predestined us for this role. We thank you that you brought us out of death and destruction, that we are no longer under your wrath because you have bought us back in Christ. We thank you that you have chosen us for this position 
And you have even guaranteed and sealed it by your Holy Spirit that we will be your glorious image bearers. We will be your trophies proclaiming your goodness. That we are those who are lifted up. Father, I ask that if there's anyone here who does not have that position, it is not closed to them. Father, would you help them to to cry out to you, to say that they, their faith is in Christ, they want to be redeemed, they want to be sealed, they want to be chosen. Father, would you, would you call them to yourself? And Lord, for all of us who are in Christ, would you help us to value and love who you are to us and who we have become in you? Would you glorify us? Would we submit to all of your working with great hope that you may be glorified and we may be glorified in you? We pray this in Christ's name.